This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Y- yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And what are we going to do today, Eric Shaw Quinn? Take it away. I'm, I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to get a camera and film your face when you do the opening. It's just really, I think people should see. He does uh, this. It's like uh, if the Muppets made an announcer Muppet. <laughs> What does that mean? Christopher does this whole attitude thing. He he doesn't do it any other time, but when he's doing the opening, it's like suddenly he turns into... I have a pet peeve. How would you like to be queen (laughs) for a day? I have a pet peeve with podcasts. I hate it when a podcast starts and the hosts are like, what are we doing? doing?" I like a firm, confident, balls-out opening. Even if you don't have balls, it's fine. I just like, I like openings that... That oh, sing. Balls out doesn't refer to that. Oh, it doesn't? That's great. I can keep using it, it without nothing, supporting the gender binary. It has nothing to do with oh, that. Oh, great. What Balls, does it mean? It's about steam engines. The, oh. um, when the when the thing was when the steam engine was going at full speed, the the the, mm-hmm. the balls that would went all the way out. It, they spun all the way out to oh, the furthest excellent. reaches. It was, a, it, was a, it was a steam safety measure. I'm so happy. I'm so happy I don't have so to scuttle. So balls actually yeah. refers to steam engines, not Great. to that part of the male anatomy. Because even if you're not talking about uh, various do, gender I, identities, it's a gross interpretation to think of it, it the other way. Yeah, it's really <laughs> like, I don't even know how that would apply. That would Here be my balls. painful and difficult if I was going to try and run fast. <laughs> I've Put on my, my tightest unitard my to deal with this issue. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't seem like that would really help. So exactly. yeah, no, that that is not what it means. Balls to the wall is the other, but they're going out towards where the walls were. Balls out. Great. That is, um, yeah. Um, did you have another thought in there? I did, but I forgot it because we got uh, we got we got talking we about started, balls. We started imagining actually 
what, what, how it would apply to? <laughs> We're gonna stop. I started seeing Borat in like a wrestling yeah, unit. That's just, yeah, enough. I, we can't. And now. For the second half of a discussion of the most disturbing case we've ever... I say that all the time. It's always the most disturbing case. Every time we do true crime pairings like this, it's the most disturbing... It's, it's the, pretty disturbing it's, because is, children are involved. Yeah, that's, it's terrible. It's that terrible. kind of adds a dimension that's just hard to, like, yeah. Okay. So, if you listen to last week's episode, we did a true crime TV club that covered an episode of a series called Evil Kin. And the case that was covered is the case that inspired the movie we are going to talk about on today's installment of True Crime Movie What was Time. the case that was covered? The Wineville Chicken Coop Murders is how they are most widely known. It's the case of Stuart Northcutt, and, uh, who abused his uh, cousin. Pretty much everybody he could find. Yeah. But yeah, certainly um, his cousin... Do you like one of the things that occurred to me in that crime was I was wondering if because her relationship with Stuart was so disturbing, do you think she was molesting Stuart? The mother. This the is mother. We're talking about the mother, Louise Northcutt, who, oh, FYI, spoiler alert, is going to appear nowhere in the movie based on the case we are about to discuss. Changeling. There is no Louise Northcutt in this movie at all. Um, yes, I think there was a lot going on in that family that that hour of television. Did not did have not time capture. to get into it. And apparently this two-and-a-half-hour movie didn't have time to get into it because his entire family, except for his sister, Stuart's sister, completely... Not Stuart, Sanford's sister. Right. Anyway, we're getting ahead we're of getting... ourselves. Again, you don't have to have seen the movie, although you really should because it's a really great movie. Um, but we will detail the sort of generally... Okay, I'm going to say this. I want you to... Since you brought this movie into my life, I'd like you to... Talk to us about your beginning experience with this movie. I, you know, the thing that I wish I could recall is why I did watch this movie. I saw the trailer for this movie, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, no, I'm not watching that. And why was that? It was. It looked like it was going to be um, a movie, Mom Loses Child. Okay. I just thought it was going to be dealing with her feelings about having lost her child abducted mm -hmm. or whatever but yeah. like it was going to be that that was going to be what the movie was about that's all they really characterized in the trailers that I saw and I just thought yeah that's that's sad but mm -hmm. I'm not I don't want to go through that for two hours for two hours right. and then later it was on you know it may have been I'm going to guess that it was when um Netflix used to send you DVDs in oh the mail. Oh, my God. Okay. The movie was made in 2008, so maybe that's right. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Like, I'm going to guess that. I'm going to guess that that's what happened. It could have been HBO, but I'm thinking that it may have been, it came in the mail, I'd seen the other ones, and was like, well, it was on the list, so what the hell. Um, and it was a revelation. I could not believe how badly they had marketed this movie. I don't know how well it did. I don't think it did. It all did that not well. do well. Yeah, and and it was because the marketing was terrible. Whoever mm -hmm. did it should never do marketing again. Or I hope they've learned that you should actually tell people what the movie is about mm -hmm. um, because they might want to go see it. It was her performances. Wonder the performances across the board mm -hmm. are terrific. Um, her performance in particular, but this, the, the 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 subjects that the movie was touching on, right. the changing role of women in mm -hmm. uh, in American culture around that time period, uh, the horrific 
serial crime, which I had no idea mm-hmm. was going to be covered in this movie and that I had never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the depiction of Los Angeles during the time period, mm-hmm. the um, re- the police reform that was involved, the uh, it just everything about the movie was so much more than what the, that trailer had depicted, you know, watching right. Angelina Jolie cry for two hours just didn't seem like it was something I was really up for. So I, I think we can just kind of lay it all out here because I think it's, this is even in the synopsis of the movie. What we When we talked about the Wineville chicken coop murders last week, we didn't talk about the story of Christine Collins. We talked about Walter Collins, her nine-year-old son, who was abducted and is believed to have been murdered by Stuart Northcutt in the, at the Wineville farm. Well, the, what the crime story told us last week was Walter was actually murdered by Stuart's mother. Mm-hmm. Right. Because when she found that he had abducted Walter, um, and it was the first time he had abducted a child from the city, it had created such a stir and such uh, media attention to the crime mm-hmm. that she was afraid he was going to get caught. So to protect him, which is what she actually apparently said in court, right. to protect her son, she killed Walter Collins. Yeah. Um and then they disposed of his body so that in, in an effort to cover up the fact that Stewart had abducted Walter um, from their old neighborhood. And none of that is in this movie. None of that. Not What is in this movie, which did happen, is that Angelina Jolie's character, Walter Collins's mother, reports her son missing, is absolutely devoted to finding him is completely obsessed, is on the police's ass about it in a way that women weren't usually on the police's ass back then in the 20s. And they call her one day and they say, we have found your son in another state. He was in the company of a drifter who probably abducted him. We're bringing him home. They get the press together. The cops are apparently under fire from this local uh, radio evangelist of the time who was speaking out about police corruption. They're like, we need a win. We're going to get the press at the train station at the same time as you. We're bringing you your son. They bring him off the train. And she realizes right away it's not her fucking son. She says this immediately, is not my this son. is not my son. And they say it's been five months. I think another diversion from fiction is that the boy they brought her in, in the real story and real life was actually quite emaciated. So they had more of a cover. They were like, well, he's lost a lot of weight. His appearance has changed. Maybe he shrunk. He was not being well taken care of. Whereas the little actor playing the the new boy in the movie is looks pretty healthy and sort of baby-cheeked yeah. and all this sort of stuff. And looks nothing like her son, Walter, who we have met in the opening scenes. And the movie is about all of the things the police did to Christine Collins to try to silence her and shut her up. And it's absolutely horrifying. It is as horrifying as what we know about the Wineville it chicken coop It absolutely murders. becomes its own scandal. In fact, it becomes a big part of the story. Like, because Walter was abducted, because this horrible thing happened to Walter, Christine was put in this position of standing up for herself. Two men who were telling her, you know, like, sit down and be quiet and mm-hmm. ladies don't talk like that. And, right. you know, let me explain to you how this really works. And the the astonishing part of the story was they were telling her, this is your son. And she was saying, it's not. Mm-hmm. She stood him up next to the mark on the door. Right. He was three inches shorter. 
The dentist said it physically wasn't possible that it was her son. Yeah. The school teacher said this is not the boy that mm-hmm. I, I ever taught. And, you know, spoiler alert, it wasn't her son. It was a little bastard who yeah. thought if he got to Hollywood, he could meet Tom X, who was a Western uh, movie star mm-hmm. at the time, who just said he was um, her son. Yeah. Because they would, as a ploy to get the police to bring him to California and then persisted in lying while she was subjected to just a horror show, Mm -hmm. a horror show. Apparently, it was a time of great corruption um, in the L.A. Police Department. It was was that time? Because when has there not been a time of great corruption? It was one of the other times. (laughs) Yes, totally. A different kind of police corruption. It does sound like it was particularly bad. The police chief was... Davis. Davis. Chief James time. Davis is how he is credited in the cast list, but we know that sometimes with real characters they change their names <laughs> because they don't want to get sued. But this has been long enough ago that I don't think the estate of James Davis is going to sue this movie. And I think there was enough, yeah. The general, yeah. the, the, I'm not, I don't put myself forward as an expert in uh, the police in Los Angeles in this time period, but what the movie asserts is that, um, they were that it was an incredibly incredibly corrupt, not in terms of what we think of police corruption, but they were actually complicit with the criminals. They had right. actually they were actually working on behalf of the criminals. Mm-hmm. They were arresting and killing off the competition of right. the bootleggers and the gangsters who were um operating in the city and then benefiting financially from doing so. And so it was. It seemed bad, and this um, John Malkovich plays this crusading um, Presbyterian televangelist, which I was like, "Boy, that's that's seems almost that's like new. a contradiction in terms." <laughs> like, wow, I can't even really imagine he's on the radio, but he speaks very quietly. That was not the case. He was very much campaigning against or in favor of police reform yes. in the time period, um, and becomes almost accidentally Christine's ally because Christine is trying very hard to get them to continue looking for her son. That's all she keeps saying is that if you if we accept that this is my son and he's not, it means you're not looking for my son mm-hmm. and we might be able to save him. And given the incredibly compressed time frame that we're talking about, that might actually have been true. Absolutely. she They might actually have saved, although I don't know how they would have found him because of the way that they um, discovered the uh, the crime. I don't know if well, they could have been Well, according to the time. special that we watched last week, if their timeline is to be stru- uh, trusted, excuse me, Walter was abducted on March 10th, 1928, Five days later was when his mother, Louise, Stewart's mother, Louise, excuse me, shows up at the Wineville Chicken Coop, discovers Walter, and murders him. So that's five days. I think that's within the time. That's before the fake boy is brought oh, yeah. to her. Yeah. So it doesn't seem likely, but that's her great concern. Right. That's her enormously, That she really feels like that's the, the problem. The, the thing that the movie doesn't ever really acknowledge that the true crime show seemed to acknowledge was that they admitted killing Walter. 
That's one of the weird aspects of the movie. This, it was like, okay, this is when the studio got in and said, this is a really bleak story and we need to give you a happy ending. And so the, the, the I, I guess we're not jumping too far ahead here because you've really given the, let's talk about this before we get to that. The horrifying scene in the movie, other than the re, I don't want to call it a reenactment, the depiction well, of the go, murders she goes is what to the happens. Press. To, right. She exactly. goes to the press because the police won't react to her. She's finally exactly. put in the position of, of defending herself in the press because they're, you know, depicting her. They're behaving as though this crime is solved and right. she won't accept it. So she goes to the press and she says something and they abduct her mm-hmm. and put her in a mental institution against her will on the orders of this police captain for the, who works for the missing um, yeah. persons division, he was the I can't remember the guy's Jeffrey. He was the star of Burn Jeffrey Notice. Donovan. Jeffrey yes. Donovan. Jeffrey Donovan. Quite fond of him. Does a wonderful job of playing a despicable human yeah. being. Um, has her apparently there's something. You know, I, I hope it's no longer a thing. Oh, it's no longer a thing. I think they say that at the section twelve is what they called yeah, it. Yeah, but it they the, would just the police could just yeah, say yeah, they could for, commit you. And yeah. so she's just whisked off to a um, an asylum where she is abused um, by uh, people trying to convince her to sign a document saying that that child is her son, which she is like saying she won't admit that isn't my son. It's not my son, and. Uh, it it sets off all kinds of bells. It was that was um, Jeffrey Donovan. That was Captain What's His Fuck's biggest mistake. If if abducting Walter was Stewart's biggest mistake, was the serial killer's biggest. This was the police's biggest mistake because once they went after that mom, they they had really pissed in the whiskey. <laughs> Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press. When a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. (laughs) 
why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? So they've essentially, they've committed Christine Collins. They've abducted her. What this means is that at this time in history, if we're going to believe the movie's depiction, that if you questioned the police's actions too vigorously, they could literally have you put in a mental institution. That's what we see happen. When, and I used to, when I was a younger person, I used to make my my friends swear that if I got put in a mental institution, that they would break me out. Yeah. Because the thing about being put in a mental institution, it's not a term of service. You aren't there for, this is something I learned from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It was, it's McMurphy's realization in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is that they can keep you as long as they want to until Jesus. they say you're good to go. You're not going anywhere. If you're a criminal and you've been sentenced to a term in prison, it may be bad, but at the end of your term, you're out. And right. it, in a mental hospital, you never get out and until they say you're sane. And I don't think that anybody thinks I'm sane. And I'm. I was going to say, what, what, were, what were you doing that you thought was going to result in you being put in a mental being institution? Being me. Yeah. Being, being gay. Being exactly being gay. That was being a, exactly yeah. who I, yeah. I, I was in my life. I just it it gave me the willies, the notion of it, and it's what it's a terrifying sequence with terrifying with her. It's and like they my worst. They do a wonderful job of building the techni- the, the the tension, and the, there's the moment where they're getting ready to uh, give her electroshock convulsive electro yeah electroconvulsive yeah, therapy just before. The um, the Presbyterian uh, evangelist, radio radio evangelist. It wouldn't be a televangelist. It would have been I know. I that's audio why evangelist. Audio I'm evangelist. A, right. I'm not sure. Radio what they had evangelist a term for it. is fine for me. Yeah, he breaks her out. And there are a lot of moments in this movie that are pure Hollywood. Yeah. There are a lot. It's like I. They don't do a think great job is, of it. They yeah. they built they built it up and they did whatever and like. One of the things they did was at the same time, and they bring it in very incidentally. Somebody calls into the police department from the oh, Canada. I love touch, yeah. Canadian man at Mounties called the police department, and in the midst of all this shit going on, and the call is that there's a, a kid, an illegal immigrant kid, living on a chicken ranch somewhere out in uh, Wineville. And, and, and if you didn't listen to last week's episode, we will tell you now what that means. What that means is that Stuart Northcutt, who's the serial killer in this case, has essentially abducted his... Is it his fucking cousin? His n- nephew. His nephew, Sanford, um, he, on the farm. And Sanford's sister in Canada has become so suspicious of the letters being sent home that she has gone and visited them as a surprise. Sanford has made clear to her, look, he is really fucking dangerous. He is a total psychopath. He will kill us both if you try to do anything to get me off this farm because he has dragged me into his crimes. So the brilliant sister says... 
okay, if I go to the cops with this wild story, they're not going to believe me. So I'm going to go back to Canada and to the immigration authorities, and I'm going to tell them my brother is in the United States illegally and you need to go get him, which is what that call is that you then say. I know, and I was like, and I know I all this now. I this didn't is know not, it yeah. the first time I saw the movie. Right. It was really a revelation. It was like, mm-hmm. what? A, and you don't know to expect it unless you have it. Was a, it was a perfect crime-pairing moment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so they, so this other detective... Um, Gets, uh, takes the lead. And now I'm going to jump in with a little, because I went looking for a fact versus fiction on this movie, and you can find those a lot, but I couldn't find one that was comprehensive and from a dedicated source. So I texted you the one I did find, right. which is this detective didn't exist. There was no second detective. And this was part of a really negative review of this movie. And it's and he, again, he's a movie critic and not an investigative journalist, so take it with a grain of salt. But he was saying... That the original detective who tried to force the fake boy on her is also the detective who uncovered the Wineville chicken coop murders, and he did not attempt to cover up those murders. And the critic's position was that this was essentially the Jeffrey Donovan's character moment of redemption, and they didn't give it to him in the movie because they wanted him to be a monster. Yeah, it was a shame. Yeah, I'm just. It was a shame. I I I saw that when you said that quote last night, and I was like. Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. that would have added a dimension to the movie that might have been interesting. But I was also curious, and I we did not find out, or maybe you did. Ultimately, this results in public hearings, mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Donovan's evil police captain is fired for his um, is disciplined for his suspended. Yeah. For, yeah, permanently, though. He doesn't come I don't back. think that's what they say at the end of the movie. On the title cards, I think they say he's suspended. I thought they said they got rid of him. Mm-hmm. The other one was demoted. The police, right. chief, the was police demoted. chief was demoted. Yeah. Um, I hope to, like, hot dog vendor, because yeah. he was, you know, the bad guy. But, uh, yeah, the, the captain was was in some way disciplined for his behavior, which I assume those the, the title cards at the end were accurate. So I assume so. But, I think there's liability if they're not, because that's when you're straying into actual reporting. You're actually saying yeah. this is the thing. This is the fact that you could just leave it out if you didn't want to include it. Like sure. To include a fact like that, it seems like that really did mm-hmm. happen. Because one of the things they also said was, which was baffled me, was that Christine Collins never stopped looking for Walter. And there's the way the movie plays that out, it's very unclear, very unclear. as to whether or not, because as they did say in the, the true mm. crime show last week, possibly um, Stewart did something to relocate some of the remains. And mm-hmm. so it was not as clear. They didn't have very specific remains. So identifying who was uh, in the grave or who yeah. had been killed. And, you know, it was different times. There was no DNA or that no. sort of thing. No. And they chopped up and burned and did things to degrade the, the corpses. So it wasn't as clear. Yeah. Um, and maybe it wasn't. But we have the admission of the mom. From last week. From we crime. Know. Yeah. That, that she actually yeah. confessed to murdering I think- uh, Walter Collins. I think there was a point, uh, I would say 30 minutes from the end of this movie, where we were just in total Hollywood land. That's really what I, that was the impression that I got. They just made up that ending to try to give it this bright spot. Because the ending of the movie is, and I'm going to say this before I forget to say it, the depiction of the, when you finally get to the ranch and the flashbacks of what happened there, 
are incredibly disturbing. Like if you're if you're remotely squeamish around children or the lives of children, as we should all be because they're precious. It was hard to watch. It I was, remember the first time being traumatized, and I was like, I'm going to watch it in two sittings, and I'm going to get as far as that scene, and then I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to have dinner, and I'm going to talk to Erica on the phone about hot nonsense, and then I'm going to get back to the movie. <laughs> like Because it was like, so. But um, because of all that, I think they gave it that that ending of, well, they find a boy later who didn't want to talk about his time on the farm, but he escapes, and he tells a story about being able to get away because Walter Collins helped free him from the chicken coop, but he himself was not. They don't really know what but happened to Walter. But the detective who found the kid is the one who doesn't exist. Yes, exactly. So it does seem like that was sort of manufactured to give it a sort of hopeful, because that's actually her line. Yeah. It's the first time I've actually had hope. Yeah, totally. Um, as a result of hearing that, because he could be somewhere, he could be out there. But Mm-mm. then they said, the title card said she never quit looking, so it was like... She never found him. Maybe she implies. never, yeah, yeah, she never found him, and so she never really quit looking. But the thing that really the changeling ultimately turns out to be about is about the change that she affected in Los Angeles mm-hmm. by sticking to her guns despite yeah. everybody discouraging her. Um, Christine Collins actually affected tremendous police reform, uh, mental health reform. Mm-hmm. The Section 12 or whatever was yeah. um, completely eradicated and the everybody who was in the asylum on, on that particular hold was... Freed, mm-hmm. um, the, they changed their reaction to like when she initially called the police to report the child missing, they wouldn't even look for him. Yeah, they said, "Oh no, it's our experience that the child will come home." Didn't and- we talk about this in the context of another much later case that they used to wait twenty four hours to look for children, and then one day someone was like, "These are children. Like we need to start much sooner." This isn't even a if business they just man. wandered off. Right, we still have to start looking. This for isn't them. the man of the house who spent an extra day in the Bahamas because he was having an affair with his secretary. This is a child. We need to get out there and right. like he's not yeah. hiking the Appalachians. Right. He's actually <laughs> Mark Sanford reference missing. Wow. Takes me back. Um, (laughs) Yes, I... um, A more innocent time in politics. (laughs) Right? And here we have police corruption in the 20s. Um, I... uh, There was another diversion from the facts that we know about the case that I was thinking about earlier, and I I completely went out of my head. One of the things they said in in the movie that was not a part of the... was they said something like 20 boys had been killed. Um, at the ranch, they said in the movie, but in the true crime documentary that we watched last week, they really only fo- focused on the three. So, and I w- if there had been twenty murders, they happened in pretty short order. And I'm going to say this as a, as an amateur true crime sleuth like you, I, often what that means is that there are uh, accounts of more murders having taken place, and they don't think they can prove them. And even if there's some evidence of the murder, there's not enough. They think they're going to jeopardize the case by throwing in a shoddy uh, murder that they can't prove when they've got three. So if it is, and it sucks if you're the loved one of victim number 18, but you you hope that they can get them for right. one through three. It just seemed odd that they didn't in the crime documentary mention some yeah. allusion to that, that there, there may have been other big. They talked yeah. about there was a time period of other victims, but it just seemed like he was just abducting and raping them, 
I say it's weird to say just abducting uh, and raping them, horrible. but but that he didn't begin killing them until that point, which was not that far from yeah. That it we it gets back to the timeline, and the movie picks up the same timeline. It's yeah. that time period from March of. 1928 until the fall of 1928 is when the bulk of all of this happened. So it gave me some consolation. It helped me with the, particularly with her being in the, um, uh, the, the insane asylum was that I was aware that it couldn't be that long because I knew that we were at trial, that we were abducting people in a trial coming not too far away. I remembered it. I remembered the other diversion. What was your and it's other? more an omission. It's not necessarily a complete change. In Christine Collins's ex-husband or the father of Walter, who was not in his life, Christine was a single mother, he was a bank robber who had gone to jail. And so when Walter first disappears, the cops get attached to this theory that whoever took Walter is an old enemy of his father's, and they never move past it. Oh, my God. Yes, and they don't deal with that in the movie. In the movie, there's a little speech like, Walter comes out of school and says, the other kids were making fun of me because I don't have a dad. And she make, she has this one line. She said, well, on the day that you arrived, so did a little box filled of, filled with something called responsibility, and your father decided not to accept it. So it's like, that's it. Deadbeat dad, that's it. But he was a bank robber who was in prison, and they thought his criminal connections had something to do with Walter's Oh, abduction. my God. Yeah. That is an enormous an omission. An enormous omission. Yeah, that would and really is, have changed the story. I, I'll tell you this. This is, a, a, okay, did you, watching the movie a second time, did you still, did your high opinion of the movie hold up? As a movie, like you're over the shock of I'm finding out about this true crime case for the first time I never knew about. Did you still think, well, this is a really well-made film? I still really enjoyed it. Yeah. I still really thought it was a very entertaining film. I do, however, have to say that it moved me back to, oh, well, this is just based on a true story. Yes, exactly. That was sort of my reaction right. because it seemed to be a lot more sort of divergent from – from the story I had just seen, having mm -hmm. been aware of the crime, it was like, okay. But, like, the thing that the movie is more about than the crime mm -hmm. is the police reform and the right. mental health right. reform. And the those things really happened. Right. She really did help affect those changes as a result of this other crime. And, and so that separation really sort of set the—it was like, oh, this movie is about something different than— because when I saw the movie the first time, it was about her child was abducted by a serial killer because I was so stunned by that revelation. Mm -hmm. And when I saw it this time, having seen mm -hmm. the, the true crime documentary, I realized that this movie was about the reform that she was able to affect as a result of her experience. <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. 
At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. I will say my. I was gonna say my uh, response. What was your reaction to it? Was did, they needed Eric Sharquin to touch up their dialogue? <laughs> that was my. I thought the dialogue, and I, I have to say, I think some of something has happened since this movie was made in the entertainment industry, which is that stories like this are starting to get the limited series treatment on streamers, where we go into a little more depth. We get a little bit more nuance about the mechanisms of oppression. And I think this was a very big story that they were trying to shove into a little over two and two hours, like two hours, 20 minutes is about what they came out. And I think things got a little one dimensional and a little cardboard. I'm not saying the serial we should have had compassion for Stuart Northcutt. That's not what I'm saying. But I felt there could have been a more sophisticated handling of what what were the mechanisms of this? What was going on with the police? What were the conversations? The conversations that start to happen between Jeffrey Donovan and his superior happen late in the movie, and they're very bumper stickery. We are doing this because of this, as opposed to I'm the chief of police and I'm under pressure because all these things have happened recently. I wanted kind of the scope to widen because I'm, I'm fa- endlessly fascinated with that stuff. But I think in terms of a movie, the performances were extraordinary. Um the overall structure of it was very compelling, but the intricacies were a little pat. It was a little glib when it came to some of these issues, and I don't know. That was my response on well, watching it Well, it was clearly time. had been shined up. Mm-hmm. Like, they shined up the story in order to create a, kind of the, a sort of tribute to Christine. Right. Which, you know, I guess may or may not be warranted. I, I think so in terms of what she was able to accomplish as a result of this horrible tragedy right. in her life, I thought those things were warranted to me, knowing that her husband was a bank robber who was in prison, mm-hmm. would actually have enhanced her character. Right. I didn't know that until you told me just mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Like, to me, that would have made her accomplishment even more. Overcoming that and becoming a working single mom mm-hmm. in a time period when that wasn't really a thing. Right. Like, the thing that she does do, the thing that the character does in the movie, is she earns the respect even of the people who I think were opposing her. who right. Who discriminated against her, who treated her badly. I think even their respect mm-hmm. is earned... The movie depicts her as also earning the respect of the serial killer, which I found to be that whole thing of going back and forth between the hearing and yeah. the, the trial. I was like, yeah, I'm not really. No. I'm, that doesn't seem like that happened. And mm-hmm. then because it was clear that the mom had confessed to murdering Walter, it the the end became a little blurry. Mm-hmm. But that was, the th- that was the point at which I was like, oh, I see. This is a movie about social reform and not about like she had experienced this tragedy, but the movie isn't about the tragedy. It's about what she did with the tragedy. And so that that's the blurrier part of the story. Yeah. Absolutely. The crime itself is blurred because the, what the filmmakers I think were trying to talk about was how 
in her reacting to this tragedy, she actually did all this good. And I think her performance is kind of remarkable because she is playing it like a woman who doesn't really want to be speaking up, but simply must speak up because it's her son. The sequences with yeah. she and Jeffrey Donovan were maybe my favorite in the movie because that's the yeah. sort of, we talked about it, brief, touched on it briefly last week. It's that the nature of how women were treated yeah. in a time period not that long ago. I'm sure women would be happy to tell me that it's probably not even now yes. all that great. But mm-hmm. the, the this co- gives mansplaining a whole new dimension oh for those who weren't around in the 20s. Beyond. <laughs> this is like talking to a two-year-old. Yeah. I mean, he the way he addresses her when she is telling him, this is not my child and mm-hmm. I want you to keep looking for my child. And he just says, you know. You, you need to stop talking back to me. He says, you just don't want to be a mother anymore. That's yeah. your problem. You don't want to do your motherly duty. This is about, yeah. And she's standing there saying, this child is circumcised and my child was not. And then they say, well, the abductor could have had him circumcised. The older you are, circumcision is a really difficult and traumatic and painful surgery. And they do actually to... take note of that yeah. fact. But still, it is it is preposterous. Yeah, it is really. It is really the most, in fact, when she says it, they uh, you could see they're horrified that she would even say circumcision in front of other people. He whisks yeah. her off into another room to have the conversation and then has her abducted because she's, you know, talking crazy talk. She's talking back to the men folk. And mm-hmm. so clearly she's crazy and needs to yeah. be. Everything about their interchanges was at the heart of what, to me, the movie was really about. Mm-hmm. And I think they both did an incredible job because she keeps... It starts welling up and she starts getting emotional and then she keeps bringing it back down because she knows or Christine knows Mm -hmm. that if I get all loud and mouthy, I'll lose the fight because then I'll be Mm – I we we talked about it years ago when we were talking – I think on the show, talking about The Help. Oh, yeah. That movie, The Help. The thing that I thought from – being a child from from that actual time period, I actually was a child right. in, during the time that that movie was happening. And the thing that is so unrealistic about that particular movie, well, there's so many yeah. to choose from. But the Bryce Dallas Howard, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bryce right? Dallas Howard plays, plays this sort of evil bitch character. Right. And me. that character, if a woman had acted that way in a small community in the South, mm-hmm. she would have been a pariah. Yeah. Not only would she not have been in charge of anything, but nobody would have talked to her or wanted to be seen with her. That just simply women were just not allowed to act that way. Right. It just wasn't okay. She would have been regarded as a lunatic and really dangerous and nobody would have had anything to do. Right. Not only would she not have been powerful, mm-hmm. but no one would have had anything to do with her. Right. It just simply wasn't. And you can see this in Angelina's performance of this, you know, recreating this woman's plight of wanting to make her case, but not wanting to be disrespectful to the men folks in the room. I just, it was so hard to watch, but so like, yeah, this is really, it was the thing I loved about Mad Men, that TV show, Mm. was the thing that I loved best about that show was that it was the first time I had ever seen the way women were treated during the time period of my childhood 
accurately. That was a little earlier than my childhood, but still adjacent. I, I want to talk about the cops because this history of the police in L.A. is fascinating to me because L.A. has never been considered a mafia town. And I've always heard the reason that was the case is because the police were the mafia. <laughs> like they kept out any crime that was more organized than their crime. The best thing, the best way I've ever heard it was described as as a result of the Los Angeles police, instead of having organized crime in Los Angeles, we had disorganized crime. And the thing that is apparently, and I think, I, I wish this had gotten a little bit more time, the thing that has riled up John Malkovich's character, and he's the radio evangelist we talked about earlier, is that the police captain, Davis, has authorized something they call the gun squad, which is that he's gotten together his most violent cops, like the cops with the worst disciplinary records ever, and he has turned them into a single squad that is designed to go out and basically just fucking execute people they decide are criminals. And what his position is, Malkovich's character, is that all they're really doing is clearing the way for criminals who will allow them, the cops, to be on the take. That it's their way of shoring up their own relationship with certain criminal elements. And it's like... Is this really true? Is this really fucking Los Angeles? And, like, my God. I don't. There's a movie called Mulholland Falls, which, yes, I, which think you, is the, I haven't seen. But I think is the period subsequent like to the 40s or the 30s. To this. Yeah. Like, it's, it's what follows. And I think it was maybe it was Parker. I can't remember. But there was yeah. there was an attitude taken and this uh, in Los Angeles by the police of we're just we're not going to have organized crime there. So they would find out mm-hmm. that. An or a, a gangster was coming to Los Angeles, and they would go meet them at the airport. Right, and they would abduct them and take them somewhere and beat the shit out of them, and right, <laughs> and put them back on a plane right. to wherever they were supposed to have come from, and you know, with the idea of do not come back to Los Angeles, yeah. and that's hence the the notion mm-hmm. that instead of organized crime, we got disorganized crime. Right. Um, but there was a real sort of cowboy kind of attitude to a lot of the different eras in policing mm-hmm. um, in Los Angeles. We have a really interesting history. And I of think some of this, here. and again, this is Christopher starts an interesting conversation that maybe none of us have done enough homework to have on the podcast. I really have. But we don't have the same relationship to unions in Los Angeles that other big cities have had. And that plays into the relationships between organized crimes and unions and all that sort of stuff that happened on the East Coast. We oh, that's don't interesting. have that history that. that large parts of LA were called an open shop town. Because it's like this Wild West mentality. People were rolling in, and they don't talk to me about unionizing. I'm going to set my ranch here, and we're going to do our own thing, and leave me the fuck alone. You know, it was sort of that. There was more of that here than there was. There was more of that here later than there was on the East Coast, which is Christopher's ranch is just amazing. My ranch is amazing. It's got room <laughs> service and a spa, and absolutely no chickens and serial killers. Um, None. But. I'm always, you know, like, I've lived here now 20 years, and you've lived here what? Do you want to say? Since 1852. <laughs> Since 1850, you got here with the first wagon train. Right, I was, I, I made dinner for the Donner Party when I got here. <laughs> They're a Northern California family. We didn't deal, deal with the Donner Party down here. They were far north. They never they never made it to L.A. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the weirdness of things here and how different L.A. is from the rest of the country, even though its primary business is trying to give the rest of the country what it wants, which I think is interesting. Well, it's entertainment, right? It's yeah. right. And suburbs, our conception of an American suburb is the San, visually at least, is the San Fernando Valley. 
And when I moved here, I was like, oh, my God, I'm in every single television show, but this is a weird, unconventional city. I always said like, that Los Angeles is the largest um, suburb of New York. Yeah. <laughs> it feels very true. It's yeah. it's very – it's like the in that sort of weird mm -hmm. um, New York magazine, New Yorker magazine illustration of the country that yeah. there's this little strip of whatever in between those two. But it is – it is a great expanse. It's all – there's yeah. no there there. There is no river. There is no – the port, it came later and is not really that connected to the city. It's a I, very strange um, sort of absent-minded kind yes. of place. I had a weird experience recently. Well, I'm your friend, so I have a lot of weird experiences. Right. But we, I, we, got, we specialize in We specialize weird in weird experiences. experiences. That's our other podcast, Weird Experiences. Um, so my, I, oh, it's this one. my aunt sent me some old papers of my father's that she had for some reason. And in there was, I think a letter he had written home after he and my mother had driven out West. And what I didn't know, and this is when they moved to California, they were going to be writers and no job prospects and didn't know what they were doing. And they dropped out of college and all this Incredible. sort of stuff. But they came through here first. They came through Los Angeles because I think, if memory serves, one of my mother's aunts actually lived in L.A. or moved to Southern California. Right. And the one line is, for my father's, we briefly drove through Los Angeles. My God, what a horrible city. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, as you just pointed out, and I always have this reaction when people say, oh, God, I hate L.A., how long were you there? Which L.A. did you visit? Because they're right. about 30. They're all over the place. Yeah. Um, why were you there? Was it work and you were in a convention stuck in downtown Los Angeles where nothing really is? I'm sorry. I don't give a fuck. I know people live there now and it's it's coming up. But L.A. is like – downtown L.A. is a completely it different It is not city. a city that originated no. in a downtown and grew no. out from there. It grew from five or six different points of origin and into what it is today. And so there is a downtown, but a lot of it was – sort of constructed like a back lot, yeah. like Tom Brady, was that his name? I don't know who you're talking the, about. Um, the Mayor Brady, um, the the mm -hmm. mayor who... Um, oh, 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 not Tom Brady, because that's the yeah, football that's, player. Yeah, that's not it, It's the but it was Brady, wasn't it? He was the um, he was the mayor who wanted there to be an L.A. skyline. Oh, maybe that is Tom Brady. I think that is, I think there are two Tom Bradys, breaking news. There is more than one Tom Brady in the human history. Yeah, okay, now we got to look this up. And other podcasts look stuff up, so we're allowed to do that. Let's um, see. But yeah, there a lot of when the, there's a there's a not very tall building downtown called One Wilshire that was the tallest building in Los Angeles for a really long time. And you know there was that and City Hall, and then that was the skyline. And um, total iPod um, iPad meltdown over here. I'm just furious. I uh, the uh, I was wondering what was going on over there. It was like. I What's happening? My, it's like it's like everything. he's it's like he's checking my airline reservation. You know how they <laughs> push like nine thousand. I'm trying to get think, concert tickets. What's happening okay, over there? We're gonna do this again. Just do Google. And That's what I was doing, but I had an iPad issue because I'm an old man and everything now works too fast for me. What in God's name? We have five minutes left in this show. I've completely ruined it with my friggin' iPad disaster. Look, no results for Mayor Brady. What's going on with my iPad? Is there a young person who can help us with this? Do we have any young people listening right now who could call in? Yeah, former mayor of Los Angeles. And his name was Tom. And his name was Tom Brady. So I was okay. actually, it's Bradley. Bradley. 
That's so why it's not coming we up. We were on wrong yours. at a level we that was unprecedented. On so many different, but he was the the man who was responsible for the building up of downtown right. into Absolutely. a more sort of vibrant, um, at least business community. And now lately, they've actually tried to get people to live there, and which apparently is starting to happen because it occurred to somebody, maybe if we built a grocery store. Uh, that was the thing. Forever. People, people would be able yeah. to live downtown there was no because there was no place down. to buy groceries. I, um, from the minute I moved here, people have been like, downtown is coming back. And they've been saying it for 20 years. It's more than it's ever been. You're right. I will say this. The story that I heard when I first moved here, which I read in a crazy uh, book called City of Courts, which was a little out there and academic, that. was that um, the reason downtown didn't develop in the olden days of Los Angeles is because they were so anti-Semitic. And they drove out the emerging Jewish business community. And the emerging Jewish business community went and said, okay, we'll do Century City in Beverly Hills which are today these capitals of the entertainment industry with some pretty big financial institutions as well. Right. And that it's like, if you look at the L.A. skyline, it's like it has two downtowns. You look out towards the ocean, and Century City is rising up with its little twin towers and island of buildings, and then downtown is way, way over east, and it's bigger, but it's way far away if you, of course, live in West Hollywood. So these two downtowns were created by bigotry and prejudice. Well, that's... <laughs> That's certainly that's could have been that that's probably a part of it. That yeah. it is such a a divergence of insane notions and like the the whole city seems to have me to seems to me to have been built um in like a fit of new ideas. Yeah. And rather than tear down the old ideas, they just move a little further west and build yes. the new ideas. And it's like they eventually got to the sea and they had to stop and yeah. And uh, started tearing stuff down, but yeah, it is. It is a very sort of well, I, absent-minded is always the best way to describe it to me because it it comes and goes as you go along. Well, and the other city it reminds me of is Houston, right? Where there's it feels like there's no logical zoning and everything is a freeway. And you, oh, have you know, to go the one that over. it reminds me of most is London. Oh well, I don't know London as because well as you. It's a lot of little places that grew together yes. into a big place, right? Because. That is really the case with it's certainly the case with London, and it is very much the case here, where there are a lot of, of so the city of London is like a square mile, mm, mm-hmm. and then everything around it is what's kind of grown into being connected to it. Um, but Los Angeles is, you know, the it's Beverly Hills is actually a city, West Hollywood is actually a city, Santa Monica is actually a city. Right. Um, a lot of those places are are actual cities that are in Los Angeles County, and we kind of count the whole county. I like to call it the colonies. As the, city. <laughs> the colonies, But yes. you couldn't tell. By, if right. you're driving along, it doesn't ever, there's no division if between. And if you're flying in at night, it's like, oh my God, it's just lights and lights and lights and lights forever, and you're like, where is the center? That's what everybody says. Right. That's what I felt when I first drove here. Where is the center? Where's the middle? And you know, yeah. And one of my things when I first got here was to go downtown, and I got here and went, yeah, no, that's not it. That ain't um, it. Yeah, yeah. There was, it was, it's a very unusual kind of history, and the the anti-Semitism isn't. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly. Yeah, I could see how that would have been a a force as you know as powerful as any other. The crazy notions that. <laughs> Okay. That built this place. To wrap it up, we've gone very far afield here, but we love talking about our city, which is well, L.A. the thing that, you know, that brought us here was talking about the L.A. police, which ultimately I think is what the changeling is about. Yeah. Like, 
I wonder what the definition of changeling is. I have to say this, and this is because my mother is who my mother was. Like my association with it was an old George C. Scott horror movie called The Changeling, which right. I never saw because it sounded so disturbing. But she saw it when I was young, and I thought, "Is that the same story?" When they first started marketing it, it is not the same story. It is not. The other one is a supernatural made-up story. This is partially based on a true story. Um, but I think you nailed it earlier. I think you said it. I think she is the changeling because right. she changed the system. That's what I mean. And yeah. you've got the two. You've got the little boy who's pretending to be um, something that he's not. Right. But you also have this woman who is becoming something right. that she was not. Um, I think my ending the definition verdict... is that a child it is a child believed to have been secretly substituted by fairies for the parents' real child in infancy. So there's the literal notion, but is it okay to be the child who was happy to be abducted by the fairies because fairies are cool? Doesn't that sound that's great? A, like go to fairyland, like yeah, yeah, that's fun. I think that's the Peter Pan story. Yeah, right? totally. Isn't... Anyway. Um, Anyway, enough about that. Peter enough. Pan I'm guy. trying to wrap things up here. Rachel Maddow's coming on next, and we've got all these commercials we've got to run. Um, I <laughs> think the Wineville Chicken Coop murders is ripe for the limited series treatment. I think there's a lot more to this story that nobody's really plumbed yet. It's a disturbing story, but I think wow. it's an important story because it's about the mechanisms of to psychological abuse. That mother, somebody needs to get into what that mother was thinking and what she was doing. I think there's a I don't want to see the kids murdered again. I can go my whole life without yeah. seeing that. I don't ever um, want to see that again. That was But horrifying. I want to know more about that sister. I want to know what turned the sister into the kind of character who was smart enough to see how she could really get her brother out of that situation. I think there's just a lot there to be mined, and I don't I don't think it has to be gross out uh, and exploitive of those kids and those child victims. I think it could be about the adults who were able to actually bring a resolution to that case. So that's the- my verdict. Really strange nature of that case. Yeah. But I think this was one of our best crime pairings because both of them are about, ended up, I was quite surprised, both of them ended up being about the mothers. Yeah. And it's Mother's Day. And this yeah. was our Mother's Day crime pairing. Our Mother's so. Day crime pairing. Absolutely. So happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day <laughs> from the Wineville Chicken Coop. But no, from the changes that Christine Collins was able right. to bring about in Los Angeles. Anyway. Um, on, the, on TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric, there's apparently a game some of you play. You take a drink every time I make it about me. I don't know what you do whenever Eric makes it about him, since that happens far more frequently. They just start, they're just drunk when they start Well, listening. no, if they did that, they would <laughs> die of alcohol poisoning if they did it with you. They can do it with me, because it's safer. Um, no, I... <laughs> and once again, Christopher makes it all about him. Hey, this is, I'm, being, <laughs> I'm being gaslit here. Um, no, um... We're going to talk about my new book. I'm coming out with another book. And next week, it's the Decimate release party. Decimate is going on sale. Decimate. You need to stop Decimate mucho. It's not. not That's not the book. It's not about that song. But I'll let you do that because you always turn the titles of my books into something silly. I don't, but that one really was You called the Moonlit Earth Goodnight Moon. I really did. I actually gave him a copy of Goodnight Moon. And so I called the Prince's Psalm the Princess Diaries just to get back at you, even though it's a biblical epic that you wrote. Um, Anyway, we're going to talk about it, but we're also going to talk about- Mine was funny. Our party people (laughs) just being- You're the worst judge if you're the target of the humor. You can't decide the if it's funny. Princess Diaries actually exists. I know, but so does Goodnight Moon. I know, but... You're just being cornery and contrary. You haven't had lunch. 
You sit down. A timeout. I'm trying to wrap this up, and we got a little burp happening again. Oh, God. Poor old Grandpa. Grandpa, can a young person help me with my iPad, please? Um, uh, so we're going to talk about that next week, but Decimate, I think by the time you're hearing this, is probably already on sale, and I'm just going to say this. This is a public service announcement, and I am the service and the public in this announcement. Um, these books, or this title, and some of my recent hardcover thrillers have been published by Amazon by one of their imprints. So when I post about them and I tell you it's available for pre-order on Amazon and you immediately ask if you can pre-order it anywhere that's not Amazon, the answer is no, <laughs> because it's actually published by Amazon. And while I realize many of you have misgivings about them as a company, I understand that everyone has a right to their opinion, but unfortunately I'm not able to accommodate those misgivings when Amazon publishes the book. I just wanted to put that out there because, you know, there's been whatever. Eric, any final thoughts? I think Amazon has done a great deal to help publishing still exist. So <laughs> it's a con I'm we could do a whole episode on it. Kind this. of a big fan. But yeah. I understand their misgivings, but like yeah, yeah change happens and yeah. going backwards is not being on offer. So yeah. sorry, but um totally maybe there's uh some fun stuff too. Absolutely. And you know, go to Waterstones and wait. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I you love, can. Uh, I love Waterstones. You to get it at a traditional bookstore, you have to go to the bookstore and request it, and they have the ability to order it. The problem and the reason we get testy on the subject is that um, they refuse to order it. They refuse to order it. and They refuse to stock it, and they will often give you a false story saying that it doesn't have an ISBN number. When the truth is, what they're actually talking about are independently published print-on-demand books, which is not what Amazon titles are. We should have saved this for the next episode. Clearly, I'm getting worked up. I need lunch, too. <laughs> um, but it's a complicated discussion, and there's some comments on the internet right now that are just, it's not, nobody's being nasty, but it's just you see it one too many times, and you just need to say something so, to clear it up. So, Christopher's new book, Decimate, it's <clears throat> terrifying. It, it'll, it'll fuck you up. You should really read it. It's it's worse than Eric when he hasn't had his tea. But it's not as bad as the, chi not, the Wineville Chicken Coop murders, well, which were... No, it's not. It's not as bad as the Wineville Chicken Coop murders. No, they're, they're that was really yeah, yeah, that was really terrible. Although it's still pretty terrifying. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice and I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and you've been listening to a never-ending episode of TDPS presents <laughs> Christopher <laughs> and Eric. 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 <laughs> Thank you. This is TDPS.